0: I gave my heart to the Lord and have had a radical transformation. It's been years since that's happened, and I'm not much farther along in my spiritual life. I feel like I'm going in circles, and I question myself spiritually where do I go from here? Good morning. I'm Pastor Eric Samborski, and this is God's Resistance. Thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. We are local. We're right here in the Wyoming Valley in the Wilkes-Barre area. And what we're looking to do is to start small groups. We want to talk about spiritual matters and look at the Bible together. We're trying to be disciples and make disciples. If you'd like to have a Bible study, we want you to contact us. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like and follow us for video content, teaching, and preaching. You can find us on YouTube as well. Be sure to subscribe and turn on the bell to be notified of any videos. If you need something, please also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Let's listen in on today's briefing. Today we're going to be talking about a wilderness experience that oftentimes the newly converted find themselves in. And I'm going to make a parallel between the Old Testament occurrence of the people of Israel leaving Egypt and going into Canaan. So there's a few scripture portions I want to read. Deuteronomy 32, 10-12. through And this is speaking when it says he, he's talking about Jacob or Israel, the people of Israel. He found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. That was the guidance of the people of Israel out of Egypt. Then Nehemiah 9, 12-15. Moreover, thou lettest them in the day by a cloudy pillar, and in the night by a pillar of fire, to give them light in the way wherein they should go. Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai, and spakest with them from heaven, and gavest them right judgments, and true laws, good statutes, and commandments and madest known unto them thy holy Sabbath, and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses thy servant, and gavest them bread from heaven for their hunger, and broughtest forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst, and promised them that they should go in to possess the land which thou had sworn to give them. And then in Joshua 5, 6, For the children of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness, Till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord sware that he would not shew them the land, which the Lord sware unto their fathers, that he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey. This outline that I'm about to go through was taken from Martin Wells' Knapp book, Out of Egypt Into Canaan Land. And I would recommend that you read that book. You can find it for free online. So if we look in Exodus 14, chapters 14 through 15, it tells us about this out of Egypt and into Canaan. Egypt was a type of bondage and sin. It was a place of oppression, of hopelessness, of the great need for deliverance. And so they had to leave Egypt. They had to literally choose to obey God and follow after Moses. And you and I, we need to leave our Egypt, the bondage of sin, choose to forsake sin and to seek God, and then to be brought to the conditions of salvation, which is that Red Sea experience. At the Red Sea, they were... Up against the body of water, the Red Sea before them, and then closing in behind them was Pharaoh and his army trying to destroy the people of Israel. They had no way out. And Moses said, or God said to Moses, Stand still and see the salvation of your Lord. So you find there the faith that brings salvation. And when they trusted and stepped in, and God parted the Red Seas, and the Israelites, went over the Red Sea as on dry land, and God gave them a mighty deliverance. Pharaoh and his army, they tried to come back behind him, and they are a type of sin. But as they stepped in, they were quenched as toe, as the Bible speaks, when the walls of water fall on them and dash them and wash them away. So deliverance came to those Israelites. And deliverance is come to those of us who have been radically transformed by the grace of God. What is sin? Well, the knowledge of sin is gained all the more, even after we're saved. We know about the sins we've committed, but really the depth of the knowledge of sin comes even more so. And when we first had that knowledge of sin, it is that we find what sin is. God shows us what it is. We need to repent of it. We, can, we confess our sins, we have faith in Jesus Christ, and then we enter into that experience of the new birth, to be saved, to be born again, as Jesus said, where we are pardoned or forgiven of our sins, we're adopted into the family of God, and we are made new, totally renovated, different people, a new creation, as the Bible speaks. So after the Israelites left Egypt, went through the Red Sea on dry land and got to the other side, now begins the Sinai wilderness, which we can find in the Old Testament, Exodus chapters 16 through Numbers 13. This wilderness is not to be confused with the wilderness roaming that we later read about, uh, where they, in unbelief, did not enter into the promised land at Kadesh Barnea. This was a different wilderness wandering. And if you wander in this wilderness too long and you do not seek God for a holy heart going towards that promised land and you follow after the children of Israel's path, you may very well be in another wilderness experience of backsliding. And that wilderness leads one all the way around that experience of the new birth so that you need to be saved all over again. So you might be asking, what is this wilderness experience? The wilderness of the saved. And going through Exodus 16 through uh, Numbers 13, we can kind of get an idea of what this is. In that whole account, there is a lot of confusion uh, with the people. They got taken from everything they knew, even though it was oppressive and evil and wrong. They were pulled out of Egypt, and now they're stuck in the middle of a desert, and they're trying to find their bearings and figure out what's going on. Well, that parallel happens in a saved person's life heart soon after they're saved there's confusion in the heart and life of the believer at this point there's the knowledge of salvation i know i've been saved i passed from darkness into light but there's something baffling it's so inconsistent in my heart and i don't understand what it is romans 7:21 says this i find then a law that when i would do good evil is present with me so even as the christian radically saved and changed they want to do what's right, but inside they find something else. They find something inside, even though they may not fall for whatever those temptations or those desires may be. They find that there's some kind of corruption that's still left lingering inside of the heart. Galatian talks about how Sinai gendereth to bondage, and Sinai was a part of that wilderness experience between salvation and holiness, which is a type. So Romans 7 talks about not being wedded to the law anymore, but rather being married or wedded to Christ. And after a person is saved, they think everything's wonderful and they think that they've received all that God has for them. But they soon realize that there's still some inner corruption that's inside the heart, something that remains like a cancer clinging to all the good of this body of mine, this spiritual body, and it saps all the good that I'd like to do. There's something of a sense of inner corruption that is known and felt in the heart of somebody who's saved. They don't have to walk in this way too long to find that. And the result is, when they see that, they try to follow the law harder. They double up. They pick themselves up by the bootstraps, and by sheer determination, they're saying, I'm going to go forward with God. They know what's right. And yet, they find the disposition of their heart to be very contrary to their highest desires. This is not a matter of choosing evil, but it's a matter of the sin that dwelleth in me being exposed. That sin that dwells in your heart, not the sins you've done, but that sin as a disposition, as corruption inside of the heart, you start to realize, oh, there's something else here. There's a fountain inside that, Lord, I need your help with. And so, God called his people out of egypt into canaan but this wilderness experience is where we know we've come out of egypt but we're not yet into that canaan that promised land of abundant life god calls his people out of egypt that he might lead them in to canaan now no one has to enter into a wilderness experience but if you read through christian biographies throughout centuries you will find that most of them have written about some sort of wilderness experience that they were in they've cut loose from the world at least most of them did it as much as they knew how to and that is in the heart of a believer to cut loose from the world and to leave the world behind and yet they find something of the remains of that world inside of their hearts and at this time you get the first instructions of the soul God gave the children of Israel all the instructions they needed concerning their journey. He told them how he was going to feed them. He gave them guidance. He gave them laws. He gave them the priesthood. He revealed to them his own nature, just as he revealed to Moses who he was. And Moses passed that along. The wilderness is where the new convert gets his bearings. He learns God's will. He learns how to hear the voice of God and follow after him. And all the while, God's ultimately trying to lead him in him or her into that Canaan land of promise. And we find that here I've entered into this saved experience and things are radically different. Now I'm in this wilderness experience and I'm a spiritual babe. I don't know an awful lot. So we are spiritual babes when we first get saved, but also We are fed from manna, the manna of God. God miraculously provided daily sustenance to the children of Israel when he rained down manna from the sky for them to eat. And so it is with the believer. He tells the believer to desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. That is your daily manna, your daily spiritual food as a Christian. When we're in this wilderness experience, we also have a dim spiritual vision. We do not readily understand what God is after. The children of Israel didn't understand much what God was after. They just were following him, and then they get out in the middle of the wilderness, and they're confused as to what's going on. And you know, when we're first saved, we start to realize there's some mixed desires. There's something in me that wants to go God's way, and yet there's something in me that also wars against God's way. And so we find some sort of mixed desires kind of murky in there to some degree. That doesn't mean we're giving in to them. We just find that they're there. And we end up being dull like the disciples. Jesus had a whole lot of things that he wanted to tell the disciples, he said, but he he couldn't because the disciples couldn't bear them yet. Just in the, the people of the Israels, uh, the Israelites, they were put under a teacher of holiness, Moses, so you and I are, Christ, after we're saved. He tries to teach us what true righteousness and holiness is, and it takes us a little time, because we've been so steeped in sin in the way of the world, that when we come into this new way and in this new light, we have to get our bearings, and Christ is the holiness teacher for us. Oftentimes, when people are in this wilderness of the saved they are earnest workers just like we find with the children of israel they were crafting the tabernacle and all of its instruments they were about the kingdom's work they were giving themselves wholly to it they laid aside the ornaments which they wore in egypt they took off the jewelry that the egyptians gave them and they put them in the church building fund and jewelry is seen As not consistent with scriptures and the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So even when we're saved, God starts to talk to us about things that we once did and we did comfortably in our Christian experience, and he starts to put his finger on things in our lives. You know, you did this before ignorantly, but now, my child, here's something that I want. And so we start laying aside some of those things that clung to us from that Egypt of bondage of sin, from that world that we used to live in. Oftentimes, people that are saved and in this wilderness experience, they give liberally to God's work. In the, in the people of Israel, they were giving so much, they were told to stop. They didn't have any more. They, there's no room for them to keep it. So the heart of the saved individual is often like this, and they do this according to their ability. They want to help. They want to give their time. They want to give their finances. They just want to go all the way forward. Just like in, with the people of Israel, they had unwise prayers. They were praying for quails. Uh, Birds, because they were sick of eating the manna and they got leanness sent to their souls, oftentimes the newly converted, they're fine praying some pretty unwise prayers and God has to teach us the right way to pray. Also, they were too much influenced by the mixed multitude. In the time of the people of Israel in this wilderness experience, they had a herd mentality instead of a God mentality. And after somebody's saved, they oftentimes find they have to war against even some of those things to have that God mentality instead of the herd mentality, to go God's way and not be influenced to go a different way. They were inclined to live on old manna back there. And they were not seeking for fresh dewdrops from heaven, but they were trying to sustain themselves on collecting a huge amount. But God said, go out every day and collect new. Manna. You and I need to collect fresh manna from heaven each and every day. We need to spend time in prayer. We need God's word. We need Him to pour out spiritual meat into our souls. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance, that is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. God frequently honored and encouraged the Israelites, even in the midst of all their confusion and at times, There was something of rebelliousness in their hearts. He daily gave them manna. He was quenching their thirst. He gave them victory over their enemies. And he gave them daily guidance. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. These people were keeping the ordinances of the church, so to speak. They were honoring the Sabbath day. There were holy days that they were honoring. And believers today do the same thing. Even after they're first saved, they want to do what's right. They, have, they want to have private prayer uh, themselves, a time of devotion, a quiet time. They want to have family prayer if they've got family. They want to read the scriptures. They want to be in church when the doors are open. And in this wilderness experience that we find in the Old Testament, uh, there the Sinai wilderness, we find that wrong was abandoned as soon as it was detected. When wrong was made known, they tried to repair the wrong. They had repentance toward God. And you and I need to do the same. Even after we're saved, we may do something that is absolutely wrong, but we may not really fully understand it until God takes us out to the woodshed, so to speak, and helps us to realize that way is not the way we need to go. And so we need to have repentance toward God, restitution towards our fellow, men, if, fellow man if we've done something that we need to apologize for and make right. And if a saved man falls, he does not stay down, but he gets up and he goes forward. That's not a license to sin, but that is if you sin, as the Bible speaks. They also lean too much on human helps. When Moses was up on the mount talking with God, they were like, we don't know what happened to this guy, Moses, but you know, why don't you make us a golden statue statue so we can worship it? And they fell right there as they were leaning too much on human props and human helps. And you and I also have that danger of leaning too hard on human props and human helps, leaning on people and personalities and things. And we need to be leaning hard on God. Also, we find that these people were spiritual cowards. Battles were won more by Moses' prayers rather than their own bravery. And oftentimes, after somebody is saved and they start walking with God, uh, oftentimes their battles are won more by the prayers of others or by counsel and help of others. And I'm not belittling it. I'm just saying that that is what happens. And that is the, the state of the saved inside of this wilderness experience. They find themselves to have a spiritual cowardliness within them, and God wants to give, make them men of God, women of God. The, we also find they were fighting against the Amalekites in that wilderness experience, uh, the Sinai wilderness experience. And the Amalekites are a type of inbred sin. They were the people that should have been taken out, and yet they didn't take them out, as God said, so they were a continual sore. And it's the same in the Christian life. If we do not get inbred sin taken care of, we're going to find us limping along in our Christian life, always having to war in a battle within instead of the real battle that's outside. And so we have to keep the uprisings of inbred sin in check. But the problem is we find we don't have any power to destroy it. The wrong that is done in this stage, in this wilderness experience of the saved, is not necessarily done purposefully, but the wrong that's done in this stage is done in ignorance of the true nature of ourselves and that corruption that still remains in the heart, and it's done because of ignorance of God. But then we find a little bit later, the wilderness of the backslider. This is Numbers 13-21, through 21, 25 and 32. The book of Hebrews talks about that wilderness journey that was the result of their unbelief and disobedience at Kadesh Barnea. This is not a backsliding into that Sinai wilderness. This was a wilderness of the people's own making. It was a wilderness because of their carelessness. It was a wilderness because of their bold-faced rebellion and disobedience to god it was a wilderness of their own making because of their lack of trust in god after all god had done for them and had proven himself to them and had shown them what the right way was and had chastised them and and tried to lead them in the right way after all of that they get up to the place where god says that the land is yours and instead of believing. They pull back in unbelief, and God was very angry towards them at that point. And then when God expresses his anger towards them, they wept, and it was too late. Numbers 14, 39, Moses told these sayings unto the children of Israel that they were not going to go up into the promised land, and the people mourned greatly. They were so obstinate at first against God until the judgment came, and then they wept. And this is the same even in the Christian life. Oftentimes, God starts to show you what's inside of your own heart. He starts to reveal to you the nature of that corrupt, inbred sin, the carnal mind. And instead of going forward with God, we listen to the smooth talkers of today's evangelicalism, which says, well, you just have to deal with that ball and chain all the way to the end. You'll never get rid of it. Romans 7 is the highest Christian experience you can have. And then we, just like in the Old Testament, find that we are lean spiritually. We find that we believe the evil report, and then we're under God's displeasure. And they wept, and it was too late. And we have got to walk with God and go forward and not be amongst those people that wake up when it's too late. They attempted to enter in after that in their own will and way, and they were denied of God. And you look in Numbers 14.40, they rose up early in the morning and they got them up into the top of the mountain saying, lo, we be here and will go up unto the place which the Lord hath promised for we have sinned. Then after that, they were no longer divinely led. The pillar of cloud was mentioned in Numbers 14.14, and then not again until Deuteronomy 31.15. They became a nation of grumblers. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They grumbled against God. They grumbled at one another. They were complainers. Nothing was ever good enough. They maintained a form of godliness, denying the power thereof, mixing the old forms of God and idolatry, but they had no reality. And that is what we have to be careful of. When God brings us up to the point where he wants to show us deliverance for that inbred sin and that carnal mind, and we think, I don't think so, and then we back up, and then we start to be a shell of a person rather than to have that true spiritual power that he wants to give us within. They uh, have God no longer in control. They say, I'll lead my own ship. They blame others for their misery. Aaron and Miriam, they were against Moses. The sons of Korah, they rose up against Moses. What do you think? You're holier than thou? We're holy too. We've got a stake in this. Don't take this all onto yourself. And God was angry with them. You know, that happens still today. People get jealous because someone else gets lifted up above them. And then they start murmuring and they start complaining and they bring the displeasure of God on them. And we need to be careful of that. They started to then turn back to Egypt. They turn back in their hearts. They start turning back. Well, we're going back to Egypt now because we're not going to follow after this Moses and Aaron. Look at the judgments of God where the earth swallowed up the sons of Korah and then made Miriam leprous in her hand. Then they started walking in crooked paths. They were meandering in the wilderness journey with no end except death. No end except death. What a sad commentary. God's service became irksome to them. And you know, your defeat encourages the enemy. Just like the defeat of those people back in the the journey from Egypt into Canaan and their disobedience, the enemy started to take advantage of their defeat. And so that whole generation stayed in the wilderness, and the next generation was the one that obtained the promise. They start to forsake God's true way for a more pleasurable way. You know, that still happens right now. We forsake God's way for some worldly scheme to support the gospel. We want to do a lot of flash, bang, boom. People won't come in and hear the gospel of Christ, so let's make it more comfortable to them. Let's make better music so at least they, they like the music better and we can cater to their fleshly desires. And then we just start catering to the world around us. We start ha- having graceless preachers and teachers, and then we start embracing them rather than the ones that tell us the truth, even though it hurts. This wilderness of the backslider that happened because of their unbelief at Kadesh Barnea is far worse than the wilderness from Egypt up until that point of Kadesh Barnea. If you perish in this wilderness, you are hellbound. You perish in the wilderness of the backslider. You are a hellbound person. God doesn't want us to go to hell, but that's what happened to the generation of those that didn't believe God and step into the promised land, God still remembers those in the wilderness. And in this wilderness, though, He wants to heal our backslidings. And He will heal your backslidings if you let Him. If you find yourself in the wilderness, there's two ways out of the wilderness. Two ways out of the wilderness of the saved. And even if you're in the wilderness of the backslider, there's two ways out. If you're in the wilderness of the backslider, you need to repent and do the first works and get saved again. If you're in the wilderness of the saved, you need to go on into the land of Canaan. You need to go on to holiness. You need to let God show you who you really are inside of your heart. Let him pick you apart. You need to agree with God. You need to die to self, and you need to trust God to burn out that chaff of carnality with unquenchable fire. If you don't go on to holiness, the only other option you have is that you're going to wander in the wilderness, which I've already said before is a dangerous place to be. That is a hell-bound route. Or you're going to just return back to Egypt. You're going to start swallowing the things of the world again instead of going forwards from glory into glory. Sometimes, The wilderness bothers people, and they seek God and obey all the way to Canaan. Sometimes people pretend the wilderness is some special place for the special case Christian. Oh, nobody understands me. Nobody knows what I'm going through. When the Bible makes it very clear that this is an experience that people can have. Hebrews chapter 4, well, Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 bring this out so explicitly that we need to go on and enter that rest. And he's speaking to believers at that point. And that's a whole nother topic we could get into. But he's speaking to believers at that point. Sometimes they pretend that it's that special case Christian. It's not a special case. It's actually far more common than people realize. One thing is for certain. There may be a wilderness you enter after you get saved. If you step into the light, you will find yourself at the borders of Canaan. If you reject the light, at your Kadesh Barnea, you're going to have a meandering life and you will perish eternally except you repent and do the first works. If you find yourself in the wilderness of the saved, then follow the cloudy and fiery pillar. If you find yourself in the backslidden wilderness, then you must come through the straight gate of repentance. Please tune in next Sunday at 9 a.m. If you'd like a copy of this broadcast, or if you need someone to talk to, or you need someone to pray with, please contact us on Facebook and Twitter at GodsResistance, that is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like and follow us for teaching, preaching, video content, and you can also find us on YouTube as well. Be sure to subscribe and turn on the bell to be notified of any new videos. You can also reach out to us by way of email at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. Join the resistance, God's resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission to the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under attribution share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.